what's something that, that you see in me that I need to improve or that I could be better at? And she says, you have a fear of failure. And to this day, that drives me. Rob Perkins founded Westview in 2007, a real estate investment company based in San Diego. Westview has invested in numerous asset types since inception, but they have focused on single family and multifamily housing. In 2015, after witnessing his grandparents enduring through the sale of their longtime homes, Rob launched a new venture to assist seniors during this time of transition. In his vision to provide seniors with a complete home transition solution, Westview recently acquired a senior move management company and is looking to add another complimentary service. Westview is in the process of expanding this new venture throughout Southern California with plans to reach as many seniors as possible across the United States. Welcome to another episode of the Gravity Podcast. We are here today with our guest, Rob Perkins. Rob, thanks for taking some time to be with me today. Yeah, Brett, thanks for having me on. Looking forward to it. Yeah, so let's um, back up and, and start at the beginning. Tell me a little bit about kind of your early childhood, you know, your family background, where you're from, anything that might feel uh, irrelevant as we start to go through your life journey. Yeah, well, I've, I've heard a lot of people. I've heard I've listened to a few of your uh, episodes, of your podcast before I came on. A lot of people, seemingly from Ohio. I I am from Southern California uh, originally. I was born in in a um, a town in Riverside County, and then moved to San Diego County when I was about two. I, I honestly am sometimes embarrassed saying where I'm from because it's it's uh, there are two there are towns which are some of the wealthier neighbors neighborhoods in the country. And, you know, for me, uh, I like to feel like, you know, cause, cause my dad really came from nothing and I kind of like to feel like I can't, I, I came from nothing, but that's never going to be the case. But I grew up, I grew up in the town that's called Rancho Santa Fe in, in California and a great, you know, a great experience out there, you know, kind of the, the homes are, are, are on big, big lots and, and, you know, we lived in this home for 10 years and it was a great, great experience growing up there. Um, I, and so I grew up all, you know, I lived in San Diego until I was um, 18 and then went away to, to college at uh, Wake Forest in North Carolina. And I actually followed my sister's footsteps who had uh, gone there previously. And, and we overlapped for a year and then spent four years at Wake Forest. And before um, we before we get too far ahead, I want to back up and just kind of understand a little bit more about kind of that that early childhood. You know, what was it like to grow up in Rancho Santa Fe? I mean, you know, you mentioned your your father came from nothing, um, but it sounds like he had some success to be able to um, raise his family in that community. Um, tell me a little bit about kind of what it was like to grow up in that environment. What what else, you know, tell me more about your parents and, and, and kind of really what you were like at a young age. What was, you know, your interest, what was kind of, um, you know, starting to emerge for you as a child? Yeah, it, it was, uh, it was an incredible experience growing, growing up um, in that town. Uh, we, I have three uh, additional siblings, so there's four of us total. And um, we, as a family, were very into sports growing up, and that was largely pushed from my 
my dad and then my mom got really into sports because we were into sports. And so we're definitely a sports family. You know, every weekend was spent on a court or a field of some kind. So I played all the sports growing up. And uh, it was it was it was a great experience. My and kind of go back with my dad. My dad, which is something that I've kind of been striving to my whole career, is my dad has retired like four or five different times. And, and because he's he's he achieved success at a very um, early age, and um, he's done a number of different entrepreneurial things over his career, but his main business um, has been a life insurance business, and he is a world-class salesman. He's, he's, he's an incredible, incredible salesman. And honestly, I didn't even really know what he did growing up because, because he didn't, he, he didn't really talk much about it. And I didn't ask much about it, you know, because as a kid, you're just not as, or at least maybe I wasn't as interested in what my, my dad did for a profession, but you know, it, 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 it allowed him to, to coach our sports teams and to be there for, you know, all of our games and sometimes our practices. And, and to be honest, for me, it was actually a little bit too much because as I learned later in life, our personalities are, are very different. And so I think there was, he has a certain way of approaching things in sports and, and personal life and, um, in all aspects of our lives that it's very different to, to how I approach things. So I rejected a lot of that growing up and uh, which I think, you know, impacted me from the, the sports side slightly too, and maybe kind of reject some of the things that he was pushing me mm-hmm. or wanting me to do and wanting to sell it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this is really interesting. I appreciate you sharing that. You know, I, I find the kind of, and I don't want to, you know, make assumptions, you know, but it, there's a lot of conversation around like toxic masculinity. And I think, you know, in my own life with my biological father, I also experienced the sports thing, the, you know, kind of desire to succeed and to, you know, work hard. And, and that was a very masculine thing to do. Boys are supposed to play sports and be good and win. And there was a lot of emphasis on all of that and probably an over-involvement, um, you know, as well. And, and I think it's really common. And I think it's been so embraced as a society that it doesn't really get highlighted enough maybe not even near enough as to kind of how damaging that can be for young boys. Now, you know, I've kind of come all the way around on it and and found how um, it's been beneficial for me, but, you know, I I have had to kind of backtrack enough to see how it was damaging too. And Mm -hmm. so maybe you could just speak a little bit to kind of, you know, the, 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 childhood experience of of growing up with your father and you know the way that he parented you know maybe you know kind of pros and cons around sports i mean anything else kind of underneath you know that part of your sharing yeah i don't know if this is nature or nurture but i'm a very competitive person and i don't know if that just because he instilled that over you know like you play the game to win the game sort of thing, or if that's just naturally how I was, how I'm wired. Um, and then the same thing goes with all my siblings. Um, I married a, you know, a college athlete, um, a Wake Forest soccer player. 
And still to this day, she thinks my family is so much more competitive than anyone in her family. And her family is all college athletes. So I think the competitive, you know, to have that competitive nature is, for the most part, is a positive, positive attribute. I think some of the things that I, that I didn't, I struggled with was I just felt like I always had this advantage over other kids who were trying to excel at the sports I was playing at because I was, you know, my parents would pay for private lessons and I would, you know, get the best of equipment and the best of this, the best of that. And to be honest, I just wanted to have the fair, the same shot as everyone else did. And I didn't want to have a leg up on on everyone else. You know, I didn't want to use that as a, as my as my crutch to that like that's the reason I'm able to do this, that, or the other. I wanted to do it on my own, and I wanted because it was whatever my natural abilities were able to either I could excel, exceed at that, succeed at that, or not. Um, and that's kind of how, like I think that's just naturally how I am. I mm-hmm. just I, I wanted I I, it's, it's, I think it's part of that you know, trying to be that self-made person, it, it can't, it's harder to feel like you're that self-made person when you start at a level that's so much higher than everyone else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I find that to be a fascinating thing as well. I'm, and I appreciate again, your transparency and, and kind of, you know, you describing that you had an advantage and that you didn't feel good about it. You know, I think that says something about you at a young age I think a lot of kids uh, maybe like having an advantage or, you know, feel some sort of sense of entitlement because they have advantages or, you know, maybe, you know, identify with being special or privileged or something that, you know, um, gives them energy. It sounds like in your case, there was something inherent in you that had you not wanting that, that you wanted to be like everybody else. And, um, compete uh, at that level. Um, you know, I don't know how old were you when you were kind of having that internal dialogue, and and was that something that came out or not until later? Did you really start to you know kind of uh, acknowledge that? Um, it was probably at a young age because it's you know it all starts when you're playing sports teams, right? And sports teams, or you're or you're, or you're arranging like a pickup game in basketball. And like, for me, like, I didn't want to just pick the best players. I almost wanted to have the worst team. So then I could show, you know, I could use my ability to beat the better team. And I wanted things just to be fair. Um, so probably, I probably recognized that at, at, at a young age. Mm-hmm. And was that something that you were able to dialogue with your parents about? Or did you kind of go along with their program because of the kind of strength and conviction that they had as to, how you were supposed to be. Yeah, I think I had some dialogue, but um, probably more with my mom. Again, my dad is one of the best salesmen I've ever met. So <laughs> as much dialogue as I want to have with him, he somehow turned it back around and convinced me that it made sense to have those six additional lessons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, good. So tell me, you know, so what happens? You know, you, you become... Um, I'm guessing a good athlete, um, you know, you're, yeah, I was a good athlete, but yeah. you know, I, I wasn't getting a division one scholarship. Mm-hmm. And so did you have other interest outside of sports? You know, what, what kind of was, you know, starting to fuel you as you got into high school and eventually off to college? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm a very social person and, and so, you know, 
sports are still a big part of my part of my life now and um so i still am playing you know less basketball now with covid but uh you know whatever it is i play a lot of golf pickleball now um and try to stay competitive but it might in, in high school you know academics was not as uh big of a thing for me i, I struggled academically i found out I finally was diagnosed my junior year of high school with ADD and, you know, I started taking medication for it. And that was a big help for literally keeping me in the private school I was at. I was very close to transferring out, out of the private school because my grades were not very good. And, um, and I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't focus. Um, and so I started taking medication and that helped a lot and it allowed me to, um, and then I, and then I, you know, I, I got, I, I took three SATs and finally the third one, I was, I got a, a good enough score to get, to get me into Wake Forest. And then that, that's, so that kind of led me in that direction. But even at Wake Forest, you know, my, again, goes back to my dad. He, he just, he stressed more like, Hey, just have a good experience there. Have fun. You know, you, you know, don't like totally disregard classes, but that's not as important because he can figure, he's so good at finding ways to you know, be successful. He doesn't think you need to learn this stuff in a, in a um, school book to, to be successful. Looking back on it, I honestly wish I would have spent more time and energy doing that because um, early in my career, you know, I, I, I didn't have the same opportunities that my friends had that graduated with, with good grades in college. And so I think it's easy. It's, it's, it's something that, that he didn't recognize that, that his ability to create something on its own is a very rare thing to be able to do that. And unless he's the person who's going to, and I, and I found out I have a lot of those same traits. It just takes a while to get there. And it's, and, and, and it would have been nice to have that a little bit of a head start in, in getting there, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a, the, you know, as a parent uh, and, and as somebody that <clears throat> never really excelled academically, I have coached my kids um, to some degree, maybe much like your, your father had coached you, you know, that um, there's more to life than what you learn in a textbook or in a classroom. And that a lot of this stuff, you know, really doesn't um, have much application in the real world. And, and, you know, I've kind of, you know, embodied, embraced that mindset to some degree. Now I have kids that on their own right have really academically um, been very successful and 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 have chosen on their own despite my coaching that they wanted to do well in school mm-hmm. uh, and I think maybe it has more to do with kind of their peers and their own internal desires or beliefs but it, you know I guess what kind of strikes me is you know when I do that when I coach my kids that way it's with the intention of trying to take some pressure off of them to, you know, have them think about their own unique abilities that maybe aren't inside of a, a structure like the educational system. But, you know, maybe, maybe I should be giving some more thought to kind of unintended consequences and, you know, just well, really. That is a benefit though, right, Brad, is like to take that pressure off. For me, I didn't have any pressure in college. Yeah. I mean, or very minimal pressure to get good grades. And that, that is a benefit. So I, I definitely recognize that. But I look back on it, I'm like, gosh, should I, should I have had a little bit more pressure? Because, you know, I mean, 
the opportunities that I had were just so limited coming out, coming out of school. Yeah. So what did you do coming out of school? So I um, ended up working for a, a, a big developer in San Diego. His name is Doug Manchester. And that was through a connection. His son went to college with me. And so I had to use connections essentially to find my first you know, job opportunity. Mm-hmm. And we're building a, a, a big resort in San Diego, California, and we're building this fractional villa component and it was, we're turning a, a public course into a private course. So my job there was to assist with building, first of all, building, designing, building these villas, these fractional villas, and then marketing and selling them. And then also at the same time, we're converting the club private. Um, so selling the golf memberships as well. Mm-hmm. And what did you end up studying? I mean, aside from the connection, was this like learn on the go, or did you have um, you know some studies that were were helpful in in that endeavor? Yeah, I mean, I was a finance degree in in, in the business school at Wake, and there were some things I learned um, that I was able to apply there, but honestly, not a whole lot. I had a really good mentor uh, in that first job. His name is Del DeWine. And it was a good mentor in terms of like how to how to act in a corporate setting and how, you know, from the, from the most basic level of like, hey, just don't leave your desk messy. You know, like when you leave their office at night, like don't leave it messy to like how you speak to people, and communicate with people, the work ethic, stuff like that. I had a really good first first mentor in that in that first job. Mm-hmm. And so how long did you stay in the development side of things or in that particular position? Um, I, yeah. I was there for about a year and a half. Mm-hmm. And what happened was my, this was in 2006, my mom came down with uh, terminal cancer. And my, I had, so I had two, I have two older sisters, one younger brother. My two older sisters were working. One was in New York, one was in L.A., and I had a brother who's still in college in Dallas. And it was it was my dad's kind of master idea to to create a company that we could all move back and but still you know earn an income and and do something beyond just being around our mom 24-7. So my both my sisters moved back to San Diego. I was I was in San Diego at that point. And we started this company, Westview, which initially was just a a company that supported my dad's insurance business um, and provided premium financing options for his insurance business. And it was great. And we we're all able to be together. We we're all able to spend kind of the remaining moments. My mom was, from the time she was diagnosed to the time she passed away, it was about 17 months. So we got some good quality time to spend with my mom and uh, the family was together. And then in 2008, the real estate market crashed. We, we recognized an opportunity to start buying some of these single family homes um, around San Diego County. And so it was initially funded through my dad, funded the first opportunity. I was, you know, 25 years old and we're the first people doing this. Like there was, I mean, hardly any out, are doing this in a, into a, in a large scale. And we were on the front page of, of Forbes when I was 25 years old. And, you know, we, we were, we were doing well, but, you know, I think a lot, I look back on a lot of that and I kind of like thought, yeah, I'm gosh, I'm doing great. You know, I'm doing, but the reality is, it's just like, I had a lot of money behind me and like, I could find some homes and buy some homes and buy them at good values and rent them out. But like, 
I don't know. I kind of look back on that. And I'm like, how much of that was just the fact that I had money behind me and, or how much of it was my ability to whatever accumulate a portfolio of stuff. Mm-hmm. So from there, we started taking outside capital and buying, and buying outside homes and then buying apartments. And then I found out how hard the business can be when you start actually raising money to go, to go do these deals. And, uh, you know, just, just to kind of rewind for a second, um, I think this applies to your podcast and, you know, how you, how we are the way we are and what, you know, and what, what makes us, what drives us and stuff like that is, you know, in the, in the remaining months I had with my mom, uh, one of the questions I asked her and I, I just wanted to gather as much as I could from her was, you know, what, like, what are, what, what's something that that you see in me that I need to improve or that I could be better at. And she says, you have a fear of failure. And to this day that drives me. And I, and I, and I totally recognize that because growing up, I would, you know, it going, taking it back to the sports side is I would get to a certain level of sports. And then I would just kind of like, it would die off. And I think of a lot of it, it was, I was afraid to, afraid to fail. And I saw that early in my, in my work career too. There were certain things I didn't do or didn't attack or whatever, because I think there was a, this inherent fear of failure. And it's almost, I almost don't even know what that's like anymore because it's been so long that I feel like I've had that fear. Like that, that almost doesn't even cross my head anymore. Coming on this podcast, you know, when I'm 23 and I, and I still have that fear, I think probably that would be like, no, I, I wouldn't do something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was very instrumental to, to, to me going out and doing my own thing and, and really having the confidence to do my own thing. Yeah, that's really great. You know, and I'm just kind of touched by the idea that you have this time with your mom. I mean, what a, what a challenging, I mean, sad, tragic. I mean, I don't know what the right words are for losing a parent, a loved one um, <clears throat> at a young age. But you, it sounds like, took advantage of the opportunity to really get some wisdom um, directly from somebody who loves you the way a mother loves a child and um, got some pretty, and I'm wondering like what, what else maybe was in there? Like, tell me a little bit more about that experience, that time that, that you maybe had to struggle through, suffer through, and learn from? Um, is there anything else there that's really worth highlighting? The, the fear thing is like a, a, a massive gem, you know? Um, we can talk about that, but tell me more about the experience of being, you know, with your mother um, terminally ill. Yeah, it, it's, you know, I, I don't know if you've gone through it with a parent or a, or a close loved one, but um, it's hard. It's hard. It's hard to go through it, but at the same time, it is, it's so, it's so, it, I felt so blessed to be able to have that, to know what's happening and, and to be able to ask those questions that I, if, if it's something where a, a, a sudden death, we don't have the opportunity to do that. But yeah, that was, that was one of the big things that, that I, that I pulled out of that. And we had, there was a lot of, there were some family things going on um, during her illness that we had to uh, take time and, and get therapy for years afterwards. And it was, it was hard, but it was good. It was, you know, the therapy appointments are always something that like, I just 
do not look forward going into when coming out of it. It's like, I feel so relieved. I'm so happy that we did it. Um, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. But yeah. My, been, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, that's okay. You can finish. What were you going to say? I, just, I, I think it would have been easy, very easy for our, our family to fall apart in various ways if it, if it weren't for having, having that therapist to assist us through that process. Yeah. Uh, you know, you and I were talking a little bit before we, hopped on the podcast about our mutual friend, coach David Meltzer, and, you know, just kind of the wisdom that you get from um, others, mentors, you've mentioned you have had wonderful mentors and therapy certainly falls into that um, class for me in a big way. And um, yeah, I can relate to the not wanting to go in and then feeling you know, really better coming out. Uh, I, I still feel like that a lot of the time I've been in therapy uh, most of my life. And it's still, you know, something that you, you don't necessarily, you know, look forward to doing it. And I think it's because it's hard work, you know, I, and, and, you know, people want things in life, but to get them, it takes hard work and the personal work, which really gives you the things that you are after most. You don't always realize that because you might think it has something to do with money or a lifestyle or a thing, right? But really, for me at least, it's about peace and love and joy and contentment and happiness, right? And those things come from within and that is the work that you do in therapy. Uh, but, but, you know, especially... Especially as it pertains to uh, family business and the loss of a loved one, and and kind of those relationships, which can be the hardest. I mean, I, I was I was curious to hear a little bit more about working with your siblings and and working together through difficult times and working, you know, with a father that's providing capital and whatever else. I mean, these are these are very complicated. Uh, issues and and I don't want to um, kind of like I don't want to dismiss any of it because you're privileged or because you have you know your basic needs met or because you have money right and, you know I think even kind of in how you've spoken a little bit today there's some there you know you shared that you didn't want to stand out you didn't want to be different right but let's be honest you had some things that other people didn't have and that didn't change the fact that you were still struggling suffering unhappy and in conflict whatever it might have been those things are still there no matter what your circumstances are and and they can still be painful uh, so maybe you can just talk a little bit about you know what what it was like uh, for you to be in that dynamic. Yeah, I think um, the dynamic of working with family, I think it can be really rewarding and also can be very difficult too. And it is, I think especially when when you're not, you know, no one's receiving necessarily salary. And there's all, you know, whatever you receive, it's all lumped in and you kind of decide how it's going to be distributed. And you have a rough idea going into it and you make sense for you. You kind of, you got to reflect back on it and say, well, who was, who had what role and how important was that role? And, you know, and how should this, these funds be distributed? Um, I think that's a tough conversation. And honestly, when our first round of kind of real estate that we had purchased and we ended up selling it in 2014, 
when we had that meeting to discuss how these funds would be, because it was kind of complicated with some of the aspects of the structure, how these funds were going to be dis- distributed. We had that same therapist that we used to, when my mom passed away to kind of moderate that session to, de- to determine where all that money was going. And it, w- and it literally took an hour, which, which may sound like a lot, but it was for the, you know, for the, all the things we had had to work through was not that long and we got through it all. And it was, and it was incredible to be able to do that. Um, that said, I, I, I do, I do like working with family. Um, and I think it's important, but I also, sometimes I feel like working with family, it, it makes it, again, I think it goes back to that. Like, it just makes it feel like a lot of people ask me like, oh yeah, you just work with your dad. Right. You know, I'm like, no, like I don't do anything with my dad. You know, he, he's, he's invested with some money with me early on and now he doesn't invest any money with me. Um, but I think working with family, it gives off that impression that it's some like family business that you inherited and that you kind of just jumped into and, you know, and you're just kind of like, you know, continuing to run the ship, you know, as best you can. Um, so I do like the idea as I kind of create my own business, um, bringing on out. I do like the people idea of bringing on non-family members so it can feel like, Hey, this is a real company outside of my family. Yeah. I I think, you know, you're touching on something that is important. uh, You know, that oftentimes I think there's again, that perception that you work with family and um, for some reason, You've had a leg up. Um, you didn't have to be X, Y, and Z. You know, whatever that is. Some people might be even more judgmental about that. Well, he's not that smart. His dad made all the money. Whatever bullshit. You know, people. Um, you know, and maybe sometimes it's true. Even you know, maybe there are some uh, stereotypes for a reason. But um, what I'm hearing out of you is that. You weren't okay with that. Um, you really, even at a young age, when you didn't want to stand out, be, in, be special or have a leg up, you've always had some sort of internal desire to make your own way and to do it without, um, you know, kind of the strings attached or the um, advantages that, that gave you, you know, some sort of, you know, uh, maybe unfair advantage or, or, you know, maybe that's not even right. Maybe just like a, a leg up that you just personally weren't going to get the satisfaction you were looking for. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I will tell you, you know, personally, and my wife and I were actually just talking about this. I think that sometimes the most loving thing you can do for a child is to allow them to make their own way. Oftentimes, I think, you know, kind of to our point earlier, intentions can be good. You know, a parent might say, you know, I don't want you to struggle or I want to give you a, a, a leg up or I want to, you know, kind of help you make this easier. But, but that struggle, that accomplishment, uh, that internal validation to know that you did it is, oh. is giving somebody that gift is, is maybe you know, the most loving thing that you can actually do. And it sounds like that's kind of what you were after. Totally. Yeah, totally. And that's, and I, I honestly, I appreciate having me on this podcast. I haven't thought nearly 
enough about this really deeply. And I'm honestly, as I talk through this, I'm actually starting to kind of connect the dots even more than I probably ever have. And, you know, I'm still, I still, there's still a lot of discovery and soul searching and things I need to do um, to figure out some of the things that, that, you know, bug me or, or, you know, that I, you know, have success. I, you know, I still don't know. Am I just, am I just like successful in certain things because I just work really hard at them and I spend a lot of time every single minute, every day thinking about this stuff? Or is there like stuff that I'm inherently have wired that I can, I can think about things differently than other, uh, you know, than, than other people. And so that's still something I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to figure out with myself too. Well, you know, it is one of the themes that emerges on this podcast. And oftentimes it happens off the air where, you know, we complete and the guest says to me, you know, wow, I, I really hadn't um, talked about that ever, or I hadn't even thought about it ever, or they don't, necessarily connect the dots in the way that we try to through this podcast. And it's it's really the point of all of this is um, to try to give the listener an, a, a, a way to look at themselves and see themselves in you and then maybe take some comfort in it. And, um, you know, just kind of, you know, my quick, you know, reflection and, and, and projection or, I don't know, observation of, of you is that... Um, you know, it, it seems like, you know, maybe there's some humility um, or, or some groundedness or some kind of, you know, maybe even, I don't know, insecurity, you know, not in a bad way, but, but that like, you're not somebody that's going to wave this flag that's look how great I am and look how much I've accomplished and look how successful I am. And, and so consequently, you might even uh, kind of undervalue what you've really accomplished. I mean, even going back to your statement about, well, you know, we had money behind us. Like, okay, but like, I guarantee you, I guarantee you, there was, you know, dozens, if not hundreds of micro decisions that you were involved with that allowed that to go well, right? Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes, you know, luck, timing, Capital, yeah, sure, those things can be important and helpful, but plenty of people screwed it up too, and you didn't, you know. Mm-hmm. It, and, and and yeah, maybe there's like some more, you know, investigating or you know, looking at or therapy that has you wonder, well, why do I do that, you know? And that that's the work that I do. I'm constantly looking at, you know, well, why do I do that, and is that tied to something, and do I still want to do it, and am I? conscious to it and you know but th- i mean it sounds like that's a bit of the process that well, you're going through if i yeah I, mean, I think one of my big fears is if i i really fear i i just never want to get to a point where i'm entitled and i've seen it happen with wealthy families i've seen it happen with people i'm very close to and and that's something i think maybe i just naturally just reject so much that i just i do not want that to like enter my mind ever and then also, I hope that, you know, I don't consider myself, you know, a wildly successful engineer or engineer, entrepreneur at this point. Um, you know, maybe one day I will be, or maybe one day I'll be a mildly successful, but I just hope my head does not go along with that. Um, and I, and I, I it maybe, maybe will, I hope, I hope it does not. Um, and I, <laughs> I kind of debating bringing this up. 
on this on this podcast because my dad is still alive, and maybe I'll send this to him too. But um, one of the things I loved about and I've told him this before too. One of the things I loved about him growing up, or at least how I perceived him to be, was that he he was so modest about what he's done in his career um, from a business standpoint. Very modest about that. In the last. 15 years for whatever reason, I don't know if it's midlife crisis. And I don't know what it is, but that totally has flipped hundred, 180 degrees, or at least maybe I'm more aware of it now. I don't, I don't know what it is, but I, I tend to believe it's, it's the former. And it's so, and it is, it's, it's such an unattractive trait to me. And it's something that bugs me almost daily of, of how he conducts himself in that way. That it's that it's that it's honestly a hard thing to to deal with on a daily basis when I when I am around him as much as I am, and that's and so that's something that when I see that and I look, hey, if if I ever get to that point in my life, I just want to embody something that's completely opposite to that, and and remember, like remember, Robbie, remember what I'm what I'm experiencing, what I'm thinking, what I'm going through right now, because you know, you don't want your kids to be thinking of, of your dad in, in the same way. Yeah. Yeah. And I appreciate you highlighting that and saying it. I know sometimes it's difficult to talk about family, you know, in their not best light. Um, but my sense is the fact that you're so in tune to this is that you will never um, be that you know. Usually, people that have an awareness around not wanting to be a certain way don't end up being that way. Um, now, I mean, you described your dad as doing a 180, so who knows? You know, maybe that's something you'll always need to keep your 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 finger on the pulse of. But um, I think you're probably headed down the right path, knowing that you um, you know are that sensitive to it now. And, you know, I think there's a fine line in there between, and I, and I don't want to speak for your dad. I don't know your dad. I don't really know how that shows up, but there is a fine line in there between um, being modest and then kind of um, caring too much about how you're viewed. I can't remember who it was, but somebody recently shared with me a quote about, I don't know, the, mo- the most... Um, modest thing that you can do is to be modest, right? Like, um, uh, or, or it's, and that's actually not right. It's like the most, um, the most, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm butchering it, but it's like the most arrogant thing you can do is be modest, something along those lines, right? Like mm-hmm. a lot of people, in other words, are putting up false pretense, right? They're trying to be humble and understated and, and like, they're not actually living and celebrating and just kind of being free, right? And it's a fine line. You know, I think you want to be respectful and you don't want to be, um, you know, somebody that's uh, kind of over the top in whatever way, but you know, maybe your dad's gotten to a point where he just doesn't care as much about how he's viewed and he's just, yeah, you know, out there point. having a good time. Oh, I don't know. I don't yeah. know. You know, <laughs> but um, tell me a little bit though, uh, you know, what are you doing? Tell me a little bit, you know, kind of a, how you are starting to really carve your own path. Yeah. So, um, you know, as I mentioned, we, during the downturn, we bought a lot of homes and we bought some apartments. And in 2012, um, I left the company I started and I went to 
a larger real estate investment firm here in San Diego. And they're a highly reputable firm. They, they buy all sorts of asset classes all over the country. Really good experience. Um, we were buying mostly hotels when I was there and um, all value-add sort of plays and asset classes and deal sizes that I just wasn't, I hadn't had any experience with. And so, you know, I was involved with raising capital. I was involved as acquisitions, asset management, investor relations sort of stuff and really, really good experience. But I was there for two and a half years and I, I basically hit the point where I didn't think I was going to learn a lot more. The curve was definitely leveling out for me. And I realized that if I had such a tough time doing something, if I didn't really agree with it and you know, I, I just recognize that I need to do something on my own again. Um, on top of that, we decided to sell all the real estate that we had purchased from 2008 to 2012. We sold it all in 2014. So um, we had done pretty well with that stuff. And so I had some goodwill with investors um, that we had, we had brought in. And so I felt like it was the right time to leave. And um, around that same time, I just started meeting with people again. I said, hey, you know, what, what are you doing? Do you have any good ideas? I'm kind of looking for the next opportunity. I didn't want to buy homes or apartments in that market. It was just, to me, it felt way overpriced um, as a kind of like a long-term play. And one, actually one of my high school buddies um, had an idea that um, he had a few ideas, but one of them struck out to me to um, that see, basically seniors who have lived in the homes for, for decades and this was in 2014. He kind of really had this idea before some of the big iBuyers came out. Um, but seniors who have been in their homes for decades really don't have a great option to get out of their home. Um, they can go with a list agent and, you know, do all the fix-up work and prep work and go through showings and deal with, you know, potentially escrows falling through and, and you know, with a timing and a move-out process, move-out timing that's just it's inflexible and does not work for whatever their needs are. Um, so they have that option. And then there's, you know, and then there's like the, hey, there's like the signs on the side of the road that will buy your home for cash, which buy your homes at like 50 to 60% of value. Like there was nothing in between. And at the same, so once he mentions the idea, I'm like, oh yeah, my grand, grandparents just went through this. Both of them went through this. They had lost their spouses and they had a hell of a time selling their home. And one of them, I think, honestly, that took years off her life or months or days off her life going through that process. It was nine months, two escrows fell through and um, and it was stressful. So uh, that was the original idea. And we're like, okay, well, where do we, where do we find these people? How can we find these people to help them without, you know, the, the idea was like, let's try to bypass the real estate agents so we can save on, they can save on some of those costs there. Um, so he said, well, where are these people moving to? A lot of them move into senior living communities. So we approached the senior living communities. Anyone we knew at any, any senior living community out there, we said, hey, what do you guys think of this idea? Can we talk to a couple of your, you know, your in-house salespeople and see if, what, see if this is a big, a big problem for my home? And that's just so overwhelming to me. I don't, I don't want to go through that process. So that's where the Senior Home Purchase Program came to life. And um, that was in 2015. And initially, first two or three years, it was slow. Like it was slow going, slow getting referrals. The idea was let's build this business based off of a referral network in the senior industry, thinking that was going to be, 
you know, we thought there was long-term value in our company with that approach. Um, it would, and it would take longer, but I didn't realize how long it would take. And there was multiple times throughout those first couple of years where I was like, I don't know how much longer I can do this. Like I need to pay the bills at a certain point. And a few things happened. And in like 2017, 2018, one of which we brought on a key, key employee. And I partially, it just takes, it takes some time for the senior industry to adopt to new vendors um, because there's a lot of elder abuse out there. But finally, this, the, the community started opening their doors and, and sending us referrals. And in 2018, 2017, 2018, it really started taking off. And so, and yeah, so it's it's been a it's been a great program for to to provide seniors a simple and stress free transition out of their homes. In February, we acquired a another company that provides is called Senior Move Management Services that a lot of people aren't even aware of what this is, but they help people declutter, organize, space plan, pack, unpack. And idea is that when you hire this company and you're moving into a senior community, you can literally walk out the door of your home, walk in the door of your senior community and your art's hung on your walls, your TV's connected, the, the clothes are hung in your closet. So it's a super complimentary service, as you can imagine, to our home purchase program. And so pairing those two together has been, has been a, great, a great addition to our company. And, and we hired someone up in Orange County uh, last year, and we plan to hire people up in LA, Riverside, and Ventura County later this year. And the whole goal is to is to make this a national a national program that we're providing and, and sticking in our niche to providing seniors a solution and potentially adding other services on top of it, whether that's the actual physical moving service, potentially storage, potentially um, estate sales, stuff like that. And so we become more of like a full one stop one stop shop type of service. Yeah, this is great. I, I'm, I it's really impressive. I, I like the way that you're. Kind of approaching the the full stop aspect of it. I mean, this is a a need. I mean, the the senior population should be treated with the same sort of reverence as you know anyone else, and providing them services that are really beneficial and helpful and supportive to to not just them but to their families. It sounds like you've stumbled upon what's not only a great business opportunity, but something that's very much of service to a population that can really use it. And, you know, I'll just tell you, um, for whatever it's worth, and just kind of hearing your story as we start to wrap up and, and kind of reflecting back to you, I think your, you know, your humility and the experience that you've had with your family and, you know, that kind of competitive spirit, which, you know, still has you wanting to be successful, taking kind of all of the learning from your parents, you know, both what you want to emulate and what you don't, um, probably is really, really serving you very well right now, and will serve you very well into the future. You know, you 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 strike me as somebody who's um, very, you know, kind of um, well adjusted from a values standpoint. I mean, even just kind of how you opened up with some, you know, hesitation about the the wealth of of the neighborhood that you grew up in i mean you know you're you're somebody that's thinking about what's what matters and and who you want to be in the world and how you want to go about um structuring your life designing your life and and making your own way and and having an impact um and so for whatever it's worth 
I think that's wonderful. I think this is the kind of entrepreneurship that we want to highlight. And I appreciate your vulnerability and your your sharing. And um, yeah, I'm 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 glad that you were able to join me today in the podcast. And and you know, before we do wrap up, maybe you just want to you know kind of either respond to that or any other final thoughts that that you have just as we you know kind of you know land at at your current place. Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, I appreciate, like, I just feel like you were my own business coach here. <laughs> I appreciate your <laughs> guidance in this. This is, this is amazing. Um, super helpful for me to think through this. And, and, you know, so often you can think through it in your mind, but if you're not actually talking it out, it's hard to really get those, get those thoughts out. So I appreciate this forum, I think is excellent as a, as, as a, as a, pod, a, a podcast forum. Um, and, you know, anyone else that's listening to this that has similar experiences, to, whether it's coming from wealth or whether it's having parents that were, that had similar characteristics as my, as my parents, I'd love to chat with you on a separate occasion and, and bounce ideas off you and, and see what you've done and things you've experienced and um, throughout your life and, and how that's impacted you. So uh, open forum for me and, and I'd love to, love to connect with, with anyone out there with similar experiences. Yeah, great. I will um, make sure that we put your contact info in the show notes. And um, yeah, I mean, this, this again, this is the point of the podcast is we're having a shared human experience. There are people out there who will relate to your experience and you sharing it is going to be helpful to somebody else. And we can always learn from each other. And so um, that's what you did today. So thanks a lot, Rob. I appreciate you being here. It was uh, a lot of fun. Thanks so much, Brett. Thanks for listening to the Gravity Podcast. Please be sure to subscribe, leave us a review, and follow me on Instagram at Brett Kaufman, on Twitter at bkaufman125, and subscribe to our YouTube channel by searching for the Gravity Podcast with Brett Kaufman. And please send me a DM with any guests or topics that you'd like to hear on future episodes.